Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey, and I am here with writer, director, and co-owner of Dirty Sweater Productions, Kyle Kleek. Kyle, what's going on, man? Uh, you know, same old, same old. Uh, nothing too exciting. You know, the wonderful world of body horror and gearing up for a feature film. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, so we are going to be talking about body horror on this week's pod, and specifically, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite body horror moments. We're going to talk about the films at large, but we're really going to dig in on specific moments in those films that, you know, really make our stomachs churn a little bit. Is that fair, Kyle? Uh, Either that or, you know, resonate in some way. Resonate in some way, right. And, you know, this week, to go along with that discussion, I have a weird beer. You know, Kyle, we always have a beer that kind of goes along with the theme of these episodes, or we try our best, and... This week I have Double Potato Spaghetti Town from Other Half Brewing Company. And I don't know if you can see this can art, but... It looks like it's made out of uh, all kinds of Italian food. (laughs) All kinds of Italian food. And, you know, I was reading something about, uh, you know, body horror, David Cronenberg. He's obviously a master. We're going to get into him a lot. But the head explosion scene in Scanners, there was a lot of leftover food in that apparently. And so when I heard double potato spaghetti town, I was like, imagine that explosion of a head in a body horror movie. I think it would work. What do I you think, think so too. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it's a double IPA from other half brewing company. It's a, you know, thin connection, but we always do that. And uh, let's get into it. I'm glad you stuck the landing on that one because you sent me the, the the email saying like what the beer was going to be and I'm like, okay, but yeah, let's get down to brass tacks, I guess. All right, so you know, Kyle, where I want to start in this discussion is just with what body horror actually is because I think everyone's familiar with horror movies, obviously, and you know, I'm not every I'm not sure if people know exactly what it is. And I think on the surface level, it's pretty simple, right? It's horrifying things happening to the human body, but anything that's actually good is much deeper than that. So, you know, what is it to you and what makes body horror so interesting and what makes a great body horror movie? What makes body horror special to me is the fact that it's dealing with something that's far more transgressive and transformative. It's no longer like you're like butchering someone with a chainsaw or anything. It's suddenly like getting at the heart of what is truly terrifying about human existence. The fact that you are just a pair of eyes trapped within this meat sack and like, there's nothing you can do about it. You're just, you're decaying day by day. You're, and you're kind of faced with the horror of like your body can turn against you at any moment. It can do all kinds of different things. And most of them are not good. And what what I really like about that is the best body horror films. Uh, it's the fact that the body is capable of so much more and the horror comes from human experience, from what your own limits are. You'll look at a body and you see, oh, this person is like, this is my body. This is what it normally is. What if things start growing out of it? 
And it's like, well, that's horrifying. But is it truly horrifying if there is like a certain function to it? And I don't know, like that transcendence of the flesh, I think. Films that deal with that in a more nuanced way tend to like really rev my engines. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think the other thing that's always so interesting about some of these body horror films is the transformation often stands in for something else, mm-hmm. whether it's kind of a sexual awakening, whether it's puberty, whether it's divorce in one of the movies that we're going to talk about. It's always standing in for some other kind of transformational thing that's happening in life. And they're just expressing it in a way that is dealing with something else on screen and something that's often very gross because of like, that's just how they're kind of processing their feelings from this event. 110%. And again, it's when this genre is on, it can't really be beaten because there's just grounds to do basically anything. Like you can do anything with a person. You could do anything with special effects. It's just the limit of your imagination that kind of holds that back. So you get all these kinds of wonderful and weird films. And that idea of wonderful and weird is kind of what I gravitate towards is because they are these bizarre pictures. They're not what you're used to. And it's often just like a wild ride that you're on. And it's like, basically, can you stomach this or not? Like that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And I don't think any of the movies that I've like burned through, like even the Cronenberg stuff tend not to be what I would call traditionally scary at all. Even if they are scary whatsoever, it just tends to be more disconcerting and stressing than anything. Yeah, I I completely agree. I've never felt in a body horror movie, like actual terror in the same way that I would feel in something like paranormal activity or the conjuring where like, I feel a distinct sense of terror in those movies, but disconcerting off put, but also intrigued the entire time is kind of how I would generally describe myself while watching these kind of pictures. And I think the, the notion of feeling intrigued by what you are seeing by this, uh, kind of trans human form. I, I think that's a very important thing. Just the fact that you see these terrible things being done to a body or the body doing these terrible things to itself. And it's hard to look away from it. And it's also, it's often like, I want to keep looking. There's, it's a very personalized and disconcerting experience when you're kind of like, what, what am I really up to? Like in the back of my mind, like, what am I into here? And you're like, yeah, what, what's wrong with me that like, I'm enjoying this. And, you know, there's that idea of, like, the car crash, you know, it's horrible, but you can't look away. And that's how I often feel, because, I, you know, honestly, and you mentioned special effects before and some of the makeup stuff, like, it's oddly beautiful to look at oftentimes. There's a great quote from Cronenberg's uh, Dead Ringers that I think just kind of encapsulates all of this, where one of the Jeremy Irons twins says uh, he thinks that they should hold beauty contests for the insides of uh, people's bodies, like best spleen and stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, good for you, I guess, thinking that, but (laughs) that idea always kind of struck me uh, just with that film in general. And I think that might be one of the reasons why we're normally like, we get intrigued by these films or we're willing to just keep looking. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've mentioned Cronenberg a lot, and I want to get to him. But before we do, you know, I want to kind of take a second to parse out this idea of body horror for a moment. Because I think, you know, on the surface, if you mention horrifying things happening to the human body, some people might automatically go to a film like Saw or a film like Hostel. Films that kind of more, to me, belong in the torture porn genre. So I'm curious to hear what your take is. Like, what is the difference between those two, the torture porn versus the body horror? Because, you know, there's similarities, but to me, they're very different. I think the main difference between that, because it's both feature grotesque elements, but one is torture porn is far more, I, I would say, natural. I don't know if that's the correct word to use, but it's basically a, a, things being done to a human body by external forces rather than the human body mutating or destroying itself through like some biological horror or something like a disease or something would be body horror or a chainsaw would be torture porn. Yeah, I think the main thing is it's someone doing it to someone. Like, some sick fuck is getting his rocks off by torturing someone. Yeah. Whereas in body horror, it's more of a mysterious force, something that's not really understood that's causing this transformation. And I think that's a key difference because, you know, I'm not saying I don't like Saw and Hostel. I do. But there's something far more interesting in the kind of intrigue of what is making this happen. Like, you look at a Saw, uh, which, fun movie. Uh, first couple movies are uh, genuine uh, genuine fun times. I think it's one uh, in six that I like. The rest I could do without. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they still have great special effects. For and sure. I feel like those movies are movies you watch for the gore scenes. You watch for the special effects, which, I mean, you watch body horror films for the special effects, too. But there's at least an idea behind them. And as you say, there's a mysterious force at play that it's like transfiguring or destroying the body or the body itself catches a disease and destroys itself. And that's still a mysterious force in some way. But it's it's less about, you know, someone uh, getting off on that happening and more like, hey, the fly is a metaphor for disease and decay and uh, how relationships all end horribly. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, you know, speaking of The Fly, let's get to our man, David Cronenberg. You know, I don't think it's unfair to say that he's the master of body horror. I'd say that's pretty on point. I don't think anyone's really tapped him. <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I mean, although, and this will come up in mind, perhaps one of his uh, spawn is going to top him. We'll see. He's only got one it's... feature out, but it's pretty fucking damn good. It is. Um, but, you know, David Cronenberg... He's done, I want to say, like 10 body horror films at this point. Somewhere around there, it's it's approaching double digits. And, you know, when we were constructing our top five list, we kind of put a constraint on ourselves because we could easily just fill this out with just five Cronenberg movies. But that doesn't make for a very interesting list or a very interesting discussion. So we limited ourselves to one. And that one couldn't be one of the classics. So we kind of took the 80s ones out off the board. Scanners, Videodrome, The Fly, Dead Ringers. Those are out. We had to pick something that was a little lesser known or not from that kind of peak period. Since we didn't, you know, include those in our list, I feel like we have to at least talk about one of them. 
So, you know, Kyle, what from that peak period or what is to you peak Cronenberg? So my personal favorite of his movies would be uh, Dead Ringers. But I don't view that as like peak Cronenberg, like the ultimate ideal like film of his. I think that's got to be Videodrome. I don't think you can top that one in terms of like what it represents and what it does. It's just a perfect encapsulation of just everything that guy has set out to do. That to me, I don't think in terms of ideas, it can be beat. I'm, I feel like he has better movies, but in terms of what he is like been saying, what he's been trying to do for all these years, I feel like that's the one. I absolutely agree with what you just said. The idea of this is his best amalgamation of kind of ideas. It's the purest expression of the idea here. And I also agree with you that I think he has better movies. And that is why, to me, peak body horror, David Cronenberg is the fly. Mm. And, you know, all these movies have great special effects. They all have these beautiful, grotesque images. And the fly is no different. You know, to me, what I like in The Fly is this idea of unchecked genius and ego. Seth Brundle is a genius who has invented teleportation, and it works. The only problem is his fucking hubris and his ego got in the way because he got drunk and in his feelings and decided to go in it solo, not realizing that there's a fly in there. So his ego and this idea of unchecked genius causing this horrible deterioration and, you know, transformation and decay. That to me is what's so interesting about this one in particular, because I think about someone like Elon Musk. Now the ego on that guy, and he's unquestionably a genius, but like, what the fuck could we be going towards if that is not like checked and like had some questions for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll say this, the fly definitely is a more concise film it's it's tighter in how it goes about it and how it like kind of charges headlong into it and the main thing that like helps kind of elevate that film above most is the fact that jeff goldblum and gina davis are so good in the movie incredible performances another striking thing that i love about that movie is when jeff goldblum starts talking about he starts trying to look on the bright side in a rational manner when he's talking about how he's basically turning into something that's never existed before. And it could be this like beautiful form, this new thing. He's like, I know it's a grotesque, like I'm turning into a grotesque monster, but I'm also new. I'm not, I'm Brundlefly. Brundlefly is this new thing, even though it's an agonizing existence, he's still trying to rationalize it in some way trying to find some positivity in it and i feel like that that hits the nail on the head uh at least in terms for me when it comes to like dealing with existential dread and trying to like find something like bright and nice to cling on to while uh always with the silver linings you're always trying to find it something exactly just because it makes life easier it does because otherwise you look at it and what is there really like what can you do you can't do anything and then how do you how do you cope with that 
Ah, so I could go on about the fly for a while. <laughs> the fly is incredible. And, you know, you mentioned your personal favorite, so I will just throw this out there. My personal favorite is actually Eastern Promises, which is not really body horror. You know, it has some elements with the whole uh, naked sauna fight, I'd say, but definitely not a body horror film, but I love Eastern Promises. It's well, it's, it's still very body-centric, though. It's still, you deal with the very eroticized scene of Vigo getting tattooed and that's a very like almost fetishized sequence it's like almost religious the way they handled it and also like the miscarriage in the beginning there's a lot of a lot of things happening with the body the body's still incredibly important in that film throughout it's just not as abstract but it's in there yeah and i like that about those kind of two movies that came one after another you know a history of violence and eastern promises and you know, in a history of violence, it's all dealing with identity as opposed to necessarily the body, which is something that, you know, a lot of his films explore this idea of identity. And, you know, so I just really enjoyed those. And I like that they weren't as abstract. And I just love Viggo Mortensen. So watching him kind of go full fucking just, I don't even know what to describe it. But like after he did Lord of the Rings to go that direction, just one of my favorite things. Oh, yeah. And it's wonderful. And I guess Cronenberg just shot a new movie with Vigo and it's body horror. So I am beyond pumped. It's like his first uh, script he's written since Existence. So it's uh, it's probably going to be a trip. I'm fucking in. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's get to our top five lists. And, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to go back and forth. Kyle, did you rank yours? I didn't rank them. I just figured I'd kind of uh, go in tandem with what you were doing to like drive conversation in further in some way, shape or form. All right. So you want me to go first then? If you want. Yeah, I can, I can go first and I can share that. Cause I did rank mine. Um, my first one is not a body horror film, but it does have a body horror moment that was very upsetting to me. And it is a film that I quite like. And it is Gerald's Game, directed by Mike Flanagan from 2017. This film deals with a woman and her husband whose relationship is on the rocks. And in an attempt to spice things up, they go to the lake house and start playing a sex game. It includes her being handcuffed to the bed by her husband. Her husband then dies of a heart attack and she is trapped there. So that leads to a whole exploration of her psyche and past trauma and all these things, as well as seeing potentially seeing things that may or may not be there. There's a whole mystery involved to this. And, you know, in an attempt to get out, there's a very, very disturbing, very difficult to look at scene where she basically peels her entire hand skin off in an effort to get out of the handcuffs. And that moment, like, I wasn't expecting it. I knew something was going to happen because obviously she has to get out of this situation. But when it happened, my God, I was not prepared. And I was looking away from the screen with like one eye and like just looking back like, oh, my God, like just that, you know, very visceral feeling in my stomach I got. So I had to include it, even though it's not like a traditional body horror film. Yeah, I remember watching that movie, too. And uh, I had never read the story or book it was based on but my mom's a big Stephen King fan so we ended up watching that movie together and uh, she had read it years ago and completely forgot about how it ended 
until just before that scene happened. And I'm like, I'm in going in blind. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what's about to happen. All of a sudden she just gets up and walks out. And then all of a sudden she starts just cutting into the skin. And I'm like, Oh, Oh God. Oh, and it's, it goes on for what feels like forever. I don't know if it's actually long or if it just feels long because it is so hard to look at. Honestly, it's like a solid, I, I, I went back and watched that scene I kind of watched it, but I like mm-hmm. time stamped it. It's legit like two minutes of screen time, which is a fucking eternity. Yeah. It, the fact that she removes the flesh, but it doesn't fully skin the hand and it just like flops over. It flops. Is, or, oh my God. It's, it's so upsetting. <laughs> uh, it, I I can't imagine watching that movie with headphones on because the sound design was pretty grody. And uh, that's a great movie. But would you... Uh, would you consider that to be body horror uh, in terms of like it being something done to a person as opposed to a mysterious force? Or is it just because it's so horrifying to see the body do that? I'm including it for two reasons. A, because it's horrifying to see the body do that. But B, it's because she does it to herself. And that to me, there's no mysterious force. There's no infection. There's none of that. It's definitely not a body horror film, but I do think it's a body horror moment because it's not someone getting their rocks off. She's doing it to herself. She's causing herself to transform, and she comes out different on the other side of this experience. She could have just let herself die there, but she willingly did this to herself so that she could survive and carry on because of what she's learned from that. And that might be a stretch, and you can call me on it, but I'm including it anyway, and I'm fucking sticking to it. (laughs) Uh, I mean... I get it. <laughs> no, it's no, that's valid. It's just again, like just picturing like having to do that kind of thing to yourself is just a very discomforting idea. Of, like, I don't know, could you go through with it? And sometimes death seems easier. Yeah. What lengths and, are you willing to go to to survive? You know, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. All right. I think I'll I'll jump in and uh, kind of do something a little transformative and a little more a little painful as well for my fifth spot i am going to do hellraiser now hellraiser is based on a clive barker novella basically a family moves into a house and it turns out that uh the guy's brother had been experimenting with uh all kinds of occult curiosities and trying to test his uh the limits of human pleasure and degradation and And the family ends up moving into the house he was dwelling in. And one character finds a a little puzzle box that unleashes uh, certain horrors into the world known as Cenobites. Uh, And there's just a whole great bit in that movie where, uh, I mean, there's so many great bits in that flick. But the scene I wanted to single out is the sequence where uh, the character Frank, the one who... uh, has been torn apart by the Cenobites and brought to hell, rebuilds his body. And there's a great sequence where it's like a mix of stop motion animation and just practical effects where you just see like a blood puddle slowly start to morph into bone and muscle and tissue. And it's just a body reassembling itself out of like the absolute horrors and pains that is, has been subjected to. And I don't know, I feel like when 
body horror is discussed clive barker also doesn't really get brought up all too often so i kind of wanted to throw him in here because he absolutely should be yeah agreed and i think you know one thing i just want to clarify because this transformation is happening throughout the movie and there's mm-hmm. a lot of moments. So you're talking about the initial one where like the blood kind of gets soaked into the floorboards and then he's rebuilt into this like puddle person, you know, but that's, that's the one, that initial one. That is the initial one that, that is the most uh, to me, like the most striking moment. This man has gone to every single length to find new pleasures. And when he is, when he reaches his limit and he is brought beyond it, he has to pull himself back from death because he can't handle it. And I don't know, that just seems pretty wonderful. And it's also just so gross looking at like this puddle man, like screaming back to life and then proceeds to just murder a lot of random uh, dudes throughout the rest of the movie until he uh, gets his skin back. So to speak, so to speak. Um, But yeah, I mean, that scene, but like everything in that movie, and you mentioned that it's grotesque, but also like it fits into that kind of grotesquely beautiful. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, as I sit there, I'm just like, how did these guys accomplish this? And how did they, how did they get it to look this good? Because it does look incredible, even as he goes through the transformation where he's like, he's all muscles and tendons, but no skin. And it looks amazing. And I was just sitting there, you know, I hadn't seen this since I was probably a teenager. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't appreciate any of this shit, but it sticks with you. And this time I was just like, how the fuck did they accomplish this in 1987? This is unbelievable. Especially because it was not a uh, larger budget film. This was an independently produced thing that I think. I think it's sub 1 million in terms it of is, It's under 1 million. Uh, I think it's between like 800 and 900,000. So I don't know, I don't remember who specifically did the effects for it, but I know it was like a top like effects team in England. And it just, even the goop in it, like all the blood and the muscle and just the melty bits all feel very organic. And they look real. It looks like if you were to just just destroy a human body and then have it rebuild itself, I would picture that's what it would look like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable and like, Again, I just can't get around it in my head. Like the accomplishment of doing that in 1987 with all practical effects and makeup, like just well done, well fucking done. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, bully for them. And the 80s were just a fucking ground zero for top quality practical effects. I mean, you had it really was. I think John Landis described it as in the 50s you would have these great movies with terrible looking monsters. And in the 80s, when effects became better, you had these terrible movies with great looking monsters and everyone was just funneling as much money into it as possible because you could suddenly do all kinds of things. And I think they probably sectioned off such a huge part of that, like 800, 900 grand to just go to the effects team. Also, just a thing I wanted to bring up, too, because we were talking about it earlier with this idea of not wanting to look away from body or not wanting like kind of being intrigued by it or like, wow, this is oddly beautiful. I think Hellraiser is the perfect film for that kind of thing, because just how it's done and the ideas presented, I think 
it would have to be considered like top quality body horror film just because it is dealing with concepts like limit testing and like pain the pain pleasure sequence and all that if you want to get highfalutin (laughs) oh for sure i completely agree it belongs on this list but i think the landis quote is a good one like this is a fine movie that's elevated by a lot of just incredible filmmaking stuff and really good ideas Mm mm-hmm I am going to go to my number four, which I think is another one that falls into the category of fine movie that's elevated by incredible effects and, you know, high-end ideas. And that is 2007's Teeth, directed by Mitchell Lichtenstein. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie deals with the kind of old myth of vagina dentata which is that a vagina can have teeth that needs to be conquered by some warrior. Very misogynist idea in these old cultures of, you know, Rome and yada, 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 and explores it a bit in the film. But basically this girl discovers that, and she is a very Christian, you know, into this idea of purity and yeah, her vagina has teeth and there are a lot of dismembered penises in this fucking movie. And so many, (laughs) I honestly do think it is a really great movie with great ideas because at the end of this movie, it's all about her learning to control and conquer that thing, just like she's learning to control and conquer her own sexuality as she's going through this kind of sexual awakening. So there's some big ideas in this film, but it's, you know, low budget and it's got some really bad actors and that's fine. Like I'm into what's going on here. And the body horror moment comes about halfway through this film where she thinks she's found the man to kind of conquer the vagina dentata. But then she learns that it was just part of a bet with a friend. Then this guy's actually a scumbag and her vagina chomps down and dismembers this dude's penis. And then just no holds bar. The camera just zooms in on it and it starts splurting blood and it is fucking so disconcerting. <laughs> I, I always remember the scene with the dog from this movie. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> like, like it's a great concept for a movie, and it's not nearly as like gro well, it's a super grody movie in terms of like all the scumbags and the creepy uh, dudes in this flick and just all that stuff is like really gross. But I think it's like in terms of what is on screen it's like yeah that's brutal but it's also like i don't know it's still a fun time like it's it is also another great bit when the uh doctors are like isn't there a bit where they're trying to reattach uh, a dick in the, the emergency room one of the doctors is like I really think it's even worth reattaching <laughs> there's absolutely that bit and it is absolutely hysterical because like you said it's a lot of fun like it's grotesque and you know there's scenes of rape and there's a lot of upsetting things in this movie but like it's all part of this journey and i think it has big ideas and it is fun because of those one-liners and cheap jokes and like you know you brought it up so i'll just go into it like the last scene of this movie or the final kind of thing is there's this whole creepy stepdaughter or stepbrother stepsister thing going on throughout it And as she's learned to conquer it, she's finally going to take revenge on this fucking creepy dickhead stepbrother she has. And 
he has a killer dog who comes out and eats his dismembered penis and it has a Prince Albert and it is just so many bits that are like hysterical and gross and just all the things in this fucking movie. And it is just brilliant. I love it. It's, it's a good time. And it, it, it's always kind of unfairly and fairly marginalized as the, uh, like the dick eating film. And it's, there's a lot more going on than just that. And it's, it's like great seeing the arc of like her kind of empowering herself and coming to terms with all this shit and just taking control and taking some element of power for herself, remembering it, like seeing it again, kind of brought back a lot of memories and realizing like, yeah, it might not be the best movie, but by God, it's a fun time. Like it knows what it is and it plays into that perfectly. And I think that, that completely elevates the film like it's fun it's silly it's dealing with heavy shit but it's also oh man that dog ate a dick that's pretty funny yeah and like that idea of being fairly and unfairly marginalized like you know it came out in 2007 i was in college so like the first time i saw it it was just like can i handle this i wanted to seek it out because it was the dick eating film but when I rewatched it now as an adult with some perspective, like I was like, oh, wow, this actually has something to say and I really enjoy it. So, you know, if you haven't seen this in a while or if you've never seen it, like it's just a B movie with some high ideas. And I I really gravitate towards that type of stuff. So really recommend Teeth. Great movie. It's a good time. All right. So I'm going to jump into another uh, fun one uh, from my next spot. I'm going with Slither which I think might have been 2000. I believe it's 2008. And before you get into this, I want to say this is the only one I didn't revisit because, and I'm going to get shit for this and that's fine. I hated this movie when it first came out. I really did. And I know the whole James Gunn trauma fucking people (laughs) come from my head and that's perfectly fine. I accept it. So Kyle, what I'm going to ask from you is, Convince me I should revisit this. Convince me I'm wrong because I hated I hated this movie when it came out. So here's the thing. I hadn't seen this movie in ages. And when I first saw it, I was like, man, this movie rules. <laughs> I rewatched it recently and the effects still rule and some of the performances still rule. But it is a fucking grind. <laughs> it is like I was checking my phone at any non- like Greg Henry or Michael Rooker scene. Like if it didn't have effects, Michael Rooker, or Greg Henry, I was like, okay, all right, this movie's still going. Jesus. It was trying to get to the root of uh, some heavier things while still being like overly cynical and it overreaches for what it's trying to do. Cause the whole concept like revolving around controlling an abusive relationship. And then suddenly the abuser, becomes a hive mind for an alien species and poor Elizabeth Banks is being terrorized by a bunch of like zombie freakers. I was like, okay, that's, that's a novel concept. So it was a weird like push pull. Like I'm not saying I dislike this movie. I am also saying I didn't love this movie and I thought it was going to hold up better than it did. (laughs) So there's still some really cool stuff. Like the best bit is still when they find the like, slug filled woman in a barn and she's just this massive like blob and it's like so disconcerting and just really grotesque and kind of hilarious 
and also totally awful. And it like he sticks the landing on that. But then there are just other moments where it's like, eh. Yeah, I mean, you have not convinced me to revisit it. I probably won't. But I will say it belongs on this because the scene you're talking about is extremely upsetting. And while the rest of the film doesn't work for me, that body horror moment. Yeah, that's a plus stuff. It's I thought it was going to be a fun watch because you're like, I watched the Suicide Squad recently and I'm like, oh, that's entertaining. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll throw that in there. My buddy, uh, who is probably going to give me shit for this, uh, his name's Jared Balog, and he does uh, like special effects for movies. Like he just uh, worked on the Bruce Campbell flick uh, Black Friday. He ended up, I'm talking to him for like, hey, man, I'm doing a podcast about body horror. And he's like, oh, you should talk about these movies. And I'm like, I mean, cool, but I haven't seen Slither in ages. And he's like, rewatch it. So now he'll probably be like, the fuck, man? Like, it's good. So <laughs> we, we just shit on Slither. <laughs> I am Jared, I love you. I'm sorry. Didn't work for me. No, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. There's just like this James Gunn trauma hive out there that is just going to come for our heads. But quite frankly, like, <laughs> like better movies, guys. Bring it on, man. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman is not God. <laughs> for real. All right. So I'm going to go to my next one. I mentioned this in the opening that Cronenberg may one day be surpassed by his own child. And so I am going with Brandon Cronenberg's film Possessor. Before we get into this, am I cheating by including Brandon Cronenberg on our rule about Cronenberg? <laughs> he is a different human being, so no. He is, he is different flesh. <laughs> different flesh, which counts. Uh, so this film is a sci-fi body horror movie where an assassin uses kind of technology to infiltrate the bodies of someone close to the target of her hit. And this movie deals a lot with identity and specifically, I think the, there, there is elements of traditional body horror where horrifying things are happening to the body. But I think the most interesting thing about this one in particular is it really explores the idea of not being in control of your body and not being the, you know, this idea of bodily autonomy and being able to control your actions and the horrific nature of what that can bring. And there's just phenomenal performances at the center of this by Andrea Riseborough and Christopher Abbott, who are just amazing, amazing actors. And I mean, that's where I want to start. What are, what are your thoughts on Possessor? So I saw that movie at the drive-in during the pandemic, and they were like randomly showing Whoa. that at a drive-in. It was the uncut version. So I went in blind of like, oh, cool. Like, it's going to be Brandon Cronenberg, an assassin movie. I don't know what this means, but let's do it. And then suddenly after like a few erect penises and like brutal violence, it was like, oh, God, this is this is a real like movie. This is heavy and really tough to sit through. And then like it relentlessly goes places and it it is such a transgressive film like that ending is yeah. holy shit it and pulls zero fucking punches like everywhere that it possibly hints at going it fucking goes there yeah and the fact that just jumping into that whole concept of you were just eyes trapped in a meat sack and like you're just your like eyes trapped in not your meat sack yeah 
just a meat sack. <laughs> and the fact that like it's two people essentially trapped in one body at that point, because suddenly one person's autonomy is gone. Another person who's seemingly in control is losing autonomy. And you don't know where one begins and ends. And it just, it keeps snowballing until it gets very confusing in such a great way that you're like, I I don't know. I could, you can never know. What's what, who's who. And like, it's, it's really an incredible film. Um, I recommend it, you know, 100%. The the scene that I want to kind of hone in on, there's a lot of great stuff with the kind of transformations where these, like, cut scenes and insert shots of, like, the 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 transformation happening and this push-pull that you, you spoke about with the kind of two consciousnesses inside of this one body. But the moment that I wanted to hone in on is when this assassin in the body of Christopher Abbott kills her target played by Sean Bean. And it involves, I guess a fire poker. Yep. Is that what it's called? It's a fight. It's a, yeah, it's just yeah. fireplace poker, the fireplace poker. And there is some gnarly shit with teeth and eyeballs. And Oof. it is horrific and beautiful. And all the things that we've talked about with this body horror stuff, like, wow. Yeah. Like, most films to me nowadays, like I, I can handle violence pretty well. It's like violence and gore. Like, yeah, it doesn't phase me. There were moments in that film that were just genuinely upsetting to just look at. And like that scene, the other assassination scene from early on in the film mm-hmm. is also just good Lord. But that scene in general just takes takes it up a notch i've never seen an act like that so savage in a more mainstream adjacent film this is not like mainstream because of the things they show but it's still a movie with mainstream adjacent with it's mainstream adjacent but the stars kind of like yeah it has like well-known guy and in girls once upon a time once upon a time and andrea riseborough sean bean yeah uh jennifer jason lee who is phenomenal in it dynamite it's one of those movies where i didn't revisit it because that's how like i was like but i it's burned in there like i saw this when it came out and it's still fresh in my mind that's how effective this movie is like it's just seared in there now nah for sure and like you know i just have season tickets now for brandon Cronenberg. like whatever he comes out with i'm in night one like i'm in and I think what's interesting is that he's kind of on the same path as his father, which is interesting to me. Like he kind of took the ideas of scanners and this idea of not being in control of the mind or something else, being able to control your mind and body and just turned it up to 11 and really went all in with that. And I find that very interesting in in and of itself, besides the fact that it is an incredible, incredible film. Normally, like you see the children of famous directors making movies and you're like, oh, God, nepotism or some crap like that. And he's pretty much came right out of the gate, ready to go with top quality film. And like he's on a similar path, but he's very much has his own style of doing things. Oh, for sure. It's like you took Cronenberg and Fincher and just like mashed them together with all those insert shots and quick cuts. Like I love his kind of hyper stylized ideas in this film. And 
the way that it captures this idea of two warring consciousnesses inside the same body. Like authors have devoted entire literary careers to just trying to explore that one concept and you get it in one movie. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have my respect. Yes, very much so. Uh, So yeah, go check out possessor. It is on Hulu right now. So like immediately it is that good. Uh, Kyle, let's go to your next one. All right. I think we'll do a fun one for this one. I'm going to throw in uh, From Beyond, the uh, Stuart Gordon classic, based on a H.P. Lovecraft story, uh, also called From Beyond, which it has very little to do with outside of its opening scene. The rest is very much its own thing. And uh, it's about scientists who try and like stimulate brainwaves to, to be able to see into other dimensions. And it ends up going very poorly and there's all kinds of insanity and all kinds of weird sex horror monsters and jeffrey combs is just running around screaming the word pineal gland so many times so many so times. many times and then the great barbara crampton and my personal <laughs> favorite ken fiore just rocking it as the uh, the cop in this movie and it's such a deceptively silly and fun movie that no matter how like insane and twisted the effects get it's still like just a good time from top to bottom yeah it's very goofy but it's it's also like goofy in the way evil dead 2 is goofy yes like it's the goofiness is warranted like it earns it and it's genuinely fun but the scene i want to single out is the very first time you see like the mad scientist appear and start to transform and things immediately go from like gross thing style effects to again, it's real sexual, real fast. It's really, really off-putting in a, a way that's earned because it is dealing with a lot of themes similar to what Hellraiser deals with, like limit pushing. It's not quite as, pronounced as it is in hellraiser because that's all hellraiser is about for this one and it's about a guy who wants to push his own sensory limits and everything and then just starts taking everyone with him sorry i'm gushing about this movie and i'm probably not even making any points so apologies no i mean i i had two things on this like the first is i think it deals really well with this idea of unchecked genius and ego with the main scientist who has kind of built this uh, resonator. Mm -hmm. You know, it's revealed in the film that he's impotent. So the whole thing here is he's limit pushing because of his own shortcomings. He's compensating as people with loud cars and big engines do. (laughs) And there's that element to it that I really, really enjoy. And so you know, exploring it through that lens gives it like a larger idea that it's kind of latching onto. And I really enjoy that about it. And jumping into that concept too, with like using technology as an extension of oneself, even as like a metaphor for one's sexual potency or impotency or what have you is always, it's such an absurd concept, but it's a very real thing. Like using, you could imagine very easily. Yes. And it it's, happens every day. As you said, it's like people driving these fast or loud or giant cars because of one thing or another or 
you know, a midlife crisis of some sort means I have to go and buy a boat. Yeah. I was like, what, what are these things? Like, how do they fit with you? Are they, they're just an extension of yourself. You have like nothing else to offer beyond this. In a way, it was dealing with certain ideals and topics, but it wasn't like beating them into your head with it. It wasn't trying to like just fully be about impotency and like bodily technological morphication, something like that, uh, merging and extensions and whatnot. It's it's all in there, but it's also like a fun movie where a person gets their brain sucked out through their eye. Like, it knows what it is. For sure. And, you know, the last question before we move on, what made you go this direction rather than Reanimator? Because that, I think, is kind of mostly talked about as like Stuart Gordon's masterpiece. To me, it, I felt like I just wanted to single this movie out because, again, everyone talks about Reanimator. And I think this is a little more, in terms of what I think about body horror, I feel like this is more in keeping with this kind of example. And also, I think it's of a similar type of movie to like The Thing, which I didn't want to include here, even though it is body horror. It's just, I feel like everyone talks about that movie and it's yeah. a perfect movie, but, you know, maybe give someone else a shot. So From Beyond was kind of like, well, I could talk about The Thing, from beyond adjacent to it so let's bring that up like, like they, they are they're pretty similar in terms of like how the body transforms and like unknowable interdimensional alien entities and <laughs> all kinds of just crazy ass shit going on no i like it i like bringing something a little lesser known into the conversation i appreciate that so i'm going to go to my next film it is Crash, the 2004 film directed by Paul Haggis. A wonderful film. It, it just, it really just <coughs> encapsulates everything we're talking about. It's, uh, yeah, you know, all the stuff about really solving race relations, uh, really great stuff from Paul Haggis. But seriously, fuck that movie. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it is Crash, but it is the 1996 version directed by David Cronenberg. And this is a film where a bunch of folks who have experienced car crashes or are very intrigued by car crashes are turned on by that idea of smashing metal together. And there is a very infamous scene in this movie, and that is the scene that I'm going to kind of latch on to for my body horror moment. It is a scene where... Rosanna Arquette's character has a scar on the back of her leg from a car crash that very closely resembles a vagina. And James Spader proceeds to make love to that wound on the back of her leg. And it is both extremely upsetting and highly erotic at the same time, which is even more upsetting because of the things that it may make you feel or think about. And yeah, that is where I'm going to leave that and let you talk about it, Kyle, because uh -huh. <laughs> I right. don't want to unpack those emotions. <laughs> I think those are uh, ne those emotions are necessary to unpack. And I think that's what Cronenberg's getting at, because we yes. all we all have that. And that is a very uh, it is a very erotic scene. And it's it's just that it, it, it's transgressive in a way that it's just a part of a body being subjected to and used in a sexual way that 
is completely unnatural. The thing about it is they are consenting adults in the scene. They are both consenting to this. This is a very consensual scene. And they are very both into it, as is yeah. very clearly established in the scene. And I think that's the beauty of that sequence is how he's able to transcend sexual barriers. And that's what these this group of people are trying to achieve. They're trying to move beyond what is sex, what is death and like I keep harping on the idea of like limit testing, and that's that's a thing. And apologies for getting a little highfalutin, but there's a French author and philosopher, Georges Bate, or Bate, or something a very very French, uh, who he wrote like Story of the Eye and a few other things. His concept that he keeps harping on for his entire career was trying to find that in between for not just pleasure and pain, but beyond like what would be considered sex, what would be considered pain. He created a secret society for people to like push past their limits and stuff. And he actually offered himself as a sacrifice to the group. That's how intense this guy's way of thinking was. Sounds very cult-like. It's extremely so. And that's, it kind of ties in with how, this group is very cult-like in the movie yep. and how everyone's just trying to push past these realms of pleasure and pain and get to like something beyond. And in that scene, you're moving beyond a type of normalized sexuality and you are transcending into this new form, this new type of sex. And it treats it in such a naturalistic manner. It, it's There's no frills. It's just, it's happening. And that's the thing about Cronenberg, right? He treats it with such respect. Like, this is a very sexual scene where they're both into it. It could be any other passionate sex scene in any other movie. The only thing, and that's, that's the transgressive bit, is he's making love to a wound on a woman's leg. And... You know, that's what I have come to respect about it rather than just being shocked by it the, like the first time that I watched it. And I was still like, it, it's still a little difficult to watch, but like it is still something that because it's treated like any other sex scene, it's just like these are people who are consenting adults in love and they're just doing this thing in a different way. And I'm like, well, who am I to fucking judge? Like, I've never been through any of this shit. So like, exactly. And it's not an easy film to sit through. No. And Roger Ebert had a pretty good quote about it where he loved the movie, but he described it as like, if humanity were wiped out and aliens came to earth to like look through the wreckage and they were scanning like books, trying to see things. And somehow a porno magazine and a car manual got mixed up. This is the thing that would come out of it some weird alien misunderstanding of what two things are and merging them together. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely recommending this film, but I'm also, you know, including it with a caveat, like that this is upsetting and difficult to sit through, but I think it's challenging in the right ways because I think people who are severely off put it by it are just like very uncomfortable with the feelings that it elicits. And honestly, fair enough. Like, it elicits some really uncomfortable feelings. And I think that, you know, there's a great ancillary piece of content out there of 
Ebert and Siskel kind of going at each other about this movie. And Ebert kind of says the same thing about Siskel. He's like, you know, you're saying this is a bad movie, but like, that's just because you're uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and I think that's fair enough. Like, no one can call this a bad movie. It is not. It is a brilliant movie. It's just whether you can deal with it or not. And honestly, I don't know if I can. Like, I didn't rewatch the whole thing. I rewatched a couple scenes here and there to, like, re-familiarize myself, but I didn't want to sit through the whole thing again. But I do think it's a brilliant fucking movie. Oh, yeah. And it's not one I sit through a whole hell of a lot either. Like, I've done it a couple times, and the one thing I think people also kind of have to understand about this film is that it's not like everyone talks about it. It's like, Oh, it's the movie where like people crash cars and have sex and want to have sex with cars and all that like nonsense. It's not a salacious or over the top film. No, it's a very serious exploration of these ideas. And like, you know, if you can, if you can stomach it based on our description, like I would highly recommend it's, it's well worth the plunge. It's just, it's not put together the same way your average film is and it's not dealing with the things that your average film deals with. So just go into it knowing that and with an open mind. And uh, I think you'll, well, you're not going to have fun with it, but you'll probably have an experience. I think it's a rewarding one at the end of the day. If you, if you go in with the right mindset. Absolutely. All right. So Kyle, let's go to your number two. It is your number two. I believe my number two deuces. I could, go with the more serious time, the more serious one uh, to continue on with this, or I can just do a lighter one and uh, just have fun with it. My last one is serious. So do what you will with that information. (laughs) All right. So I'll do the fun one for number two. I am going to go with the classic an American werewolf in London from uh, 1981. And this movie is about uh, two intrepid American backpackers uh, getting more than they bargained for when they walk on the uh, the moonlit moors uh, that they have been warned away from in rural England. And uh, happen- be, they are happened upon by a beast of the night. And what follows is uh, a whole lot of hijinks and uh, a lot of great special effects and some wonderful werewolf uh, happenings incredible special effects incredibly funny and goofy movie and i'm a huge fan i i i really do love this like this is peak like b 80s movie it's also a hell of a throwback to like uh your old style monster movie like this movie has like john Landis is the kind of director who he's done his homework he knows and respects like all the old horror films and it it is a perfect werewolf story where it it has the comedy, but it also like he kind of pointed out in an interview, he had this really long joke where he just likened the werewolf, like the monster itself is basically the schmuck of the monster universe. It's just it's a hapless dude who just gets turned into this beast and it has no control over it. And they'll constantly wake up in all kinds of situations. And it's just there's nothing they can do. And you're watching it and it's like it's tragic, but. It's kind of hilarious like the yep. places this dude ends up in like the werewolf stuff itself is not funny it, but as soon as like the flip switches and he wakes up the next day it's just like you woke up from a bad hangover and it's like what did i do last night and it's it's it kind of touches on both of those things at the same time a naked american man stole my balloons <laughs> it's there it's so quotable and it's it's just such a good movie and like the acting you would 
the acting is so good. And it, it's wild, too, because he Landis was coming right off of like Animal House and Blues Brothers for this movie. No one wanted him to make this film because like it's too funny to be a horror movie or it's too violent and scary to be a comedy. And it's like, just let me make this damn movie. He does two movies that just make all the money in the world. And suddenly he's like, we're making this. And I'll get to my uh, body horror scene in a bit, but there is a really funny story. So like John Landis had this idea, he had written the script for American Werewolf in London in the 60s when he was over in Yugoslavia as like a PA for the movie uh, Kelly's Heroes with uh, Clint Eastwood. And he saw like some ritualistic burying at a, at a crossroads and they were burying a corpse of like a criminal. And he's like, what's going on here? And the, the person he's with is like, oh, he's a criminal. They're burying him this way so he doesn't get up and run around. And he's like, well, that's crazy. He said he started thinking about it and he's like, oh, what if he did get up? I would have no way to deal with this because I'm just, I'm from the city. I only think of normal stuff. Like what if a monster happened on me? I'm screwed. And so that's where like the idea came from. And then he wrote the script. They're like, who the hell are you kid? Like you haven't done anything. So he just keeps getting booted out of all the offices in the world. And so he's talking to Rick Baker about this and he's like, okay, Rick, I have this idea. And he like shows him the script and Rick Baker's like, Oh, I think I can come up with some stuff. So Rick Baker creates this thing called a change head, which is like this skull type device that you would put the like uh, prosthetics over and it would like kind of push out. So it would elongate the face. So he ends up like, making this thing and then Landis just cannot get money for this movie for like the next decade and no one's making werewolf movies so like 1980 rolls around and he makes blues brothers and everyone's like okay whatever you want to do next do it and he's like okay i'm making american werewolf in london he calls up rick baker and he's like we're doing american werewolf it's like john i'm doing a werewolf movie (laughs) what do you mean he's like i'm doing the effects for the howling so he's doing that, and Landis is just like, did you show them the change heads? He's like, yeah, I did. And he's like, you mother... He starts, like, <laughs> screaming at him over the phone. He, like, browbeats him into quitting the howling and leaving Rob Bottin to do all of that. So then Rob Bottin goes off to do, like, the thing and other stuff solo. And then, like, Rick Baker is just, like, browbeaten into doing this thing because they've been, like, planning on it for, like, 10 years. And so... The effects they've had, like, I guess they were thinking about the effects for this movie for like 10 years. They'd had time to prepare and they knew exactly what it needed to be. And that's why they looked so good. And I want to single out the transformation scene because I think that is hands down the best practical effect sequence in any film ever made. Can't disagree with you. It's incredible. And it really just gets at the heart of what transforming into something else would be. It's it's painful. You're growing, you're stretching, your bones are breaking. Everything is just like his teeth are coming out and like new teeth are coming in. And it's just, it's almost a hard sit, but it's so good. You cannot look away. And it's also kind of funny because they're playing blue moon during the entire scene. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, it's, as I said, it's an important body horror scene because it's horrifying. It's a body turning against itself and turning into something new in such a painful way. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, everything you said is 100% on point. And I think the only thing you left out is 
I think the most, the single most grotesque thing about it is the extending of the fingers to create this like giganto hand. It's not only the hand is extending, you're hearing it crack, you're hearing it break, and you see him in the frame with it. Most films, like it cuts to a close up of the hand stretching, but then it cuts to him and the hand stretching and him reacting to it. Yeah. You just know immediately how much pain he's in. And also the amazing thing about that sequence is there are no shadows and there are almost no cutaways. Like it just cuts to the next effect and you see everything. It's in a brightly lit room. And somehow like most films be like, okay, just bring in some shadows. This may not look great. Landis was like, no light it. I want to see everything we're paying for it. So let's show it. And it fucking worked. It does, though. It You can't escape like that horror and that pain. It's just you're locked into it. You're trapped with him in this moment. And it feels like it goes on for forever. Like, it's probably like a solid two, three minutes of the scene. It is. It's it's long, man. It, yeah. really, it really goes. Like, I think they get through the whole song. <laughs> All of Blue Moon is played. <laughs> yeah, that to me is like hands down one of the best body horror moments in film history and probably one of the best, if not the best effects sequence in film. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree from the effects standpoint. I think the only thing that I have a question about, and it's my only gripe about this movie. Why does nurse Alex price like him? I know it's necessary to the story, <laughs> but why does she like him? What is it? What I is don't the know. There's <laughs> meaning. It's nonsensical. It is. And funny enough, Landis actually mentioned that in an interview. He's like, well, it's an old script. I wrote it when I was like 19. This is like, <laughs> nurses don't do that. Just give me a break. But yeah, but you know, I don't know why she does that. But Jenny Auguter is so good in that role. So good. She's incredibly charming and funny and nice and like all of the things. But I just don't understand what it is about him that she actually like gravitates towards. Yeah. So like, and I'm just sitting there. Why? Why are you still here with this fucking dude? <laughs> like you get elements of like David Naughton's charm and scenes. Like there's yeah. that fun scene where they're on the subway, but you don't get that in the hospital stuff. You're like, I don't know why you would go home with your patient. Nurses don't normally do that. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I don't get it. But the leads are so charming that you're kind of like, eh, I don't care. On to the next thing. It's a it's a nitpick. Like I don't actually care. I still love this movie, but it's just like one of those things where like when I rewatched it just now, I was just like, you know, I'm not really sure what drawing about him. I I don't. It's still great. Yeah, you came for the werewolf stuff. Yeah, and also right. oh, the Griffin Dunn. I gotta say, just the effects they do for him. Oh, in those, the in the death scene. Oh, just the death scene and him decaying over the course of the film. Oh, yeah. When he show, it's so funny when they're in the porn theater together. Like, it is hysterical. And he's basically like falling apart, and there's this weird porn shit going on. Oh, my. It's hilarious. It's so goofy. Oh, man. That scene was originally written for a cartoon theater because I guess uh, back in the day they would have theaters that would just show cartoons. And. Landis came back after, to London after the 60s and was like, all right, I'm going to do one of the cartoon theaters. I'm going to shoot it here. I think the scene had like kids in it and stuff. So it was really going to be tense. <laughs> it goes to like the theater district and it's nothing but porno theaters. And he's like, 
I guess fuck. we're going this direction. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'll I'll shoot a random nudie film, and uh, that'll be in the movie. And apparently, that was like the first thing he shot. So when the studio was getting dailies, those were that was the first thing they were seeing. They're like, what the hell is this nude film? What is this movie? Oh, so it was an original porn film for yeah. The, no, for he shot it. It's it's <laughs> in reference to he has this like running joke in all his movies for I think it's a flick called like see you next Wednesday or some nonsense. And the studio gets that when they're like seeing what he's shooting and they're like, Oh my God, we just gave him all of the money. What is he doing to us? Is he making a porno? (laughs) Yeah. So they're like freaking out and he's like, yeah, and I'm in London. So they can't really reach me. So it was like, no, no oversight whatsoever. So they were just, (laughs) he's just doing what he was doing. In case we haven't hammered on it enough, like, the balls on Landis to take the cachet from Blues Brothers and Animal House to make this movie, like, just a fucking legendary power move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. I wish we had more of that, and I feel like the way the system probably operates now is not really designed for that kind of freedom anymore. No, we were... I I talked about this with John Yost. I think you know him. Um, I do. We were talking about with Dune and how nowadays you just get you make two brilliant movies and then you just get drawn into the franchise system instead of getting carte blanche to do what you want and it sucks yeah all right so i am going to jump to my number one it is julia ducarnau's film raw from 2017 and i don't know if she's gonna spend her entire career in the body horror space but between this and her new film titany I think that's how you pronounce it. I think it's Titan. We Titan. I work I worked at a movie theater and I missed it when it was there. But we had like so many people coming in being like, yes, it's pronounced Titan. Like, All right, so, so that's... Titan. Ugh. Between this and Titan, which just won con, like clearly she is a force to be reckoned with within this kind of space. And Raw is her I don't want to say it's her debut because I don't think it is, but it's certainly the one that kind of garnered her a lot of acclaim and it is a fucking brilliant movie. Uh, It follows a student who is going to veterinary school. She is a vegetarian and as a part of a hazing ritual, she is forced to eat rabbit parts. And through this ritual, she realizes that she has a taste for flesh and through that there is some cannibalism that starts to happen. And the body horror sequence that I'm going to focus in on is the initial time she realizes where she accidentally cuts off her sister's finger with a pair of scissors and then proceeds to eat that finger while her sister is passed out. Her sister wakes up at a certain point and realizes she has eaten her finger and shit goes down to say the least. This is an amazing movie I really, really love it. And Kyle, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Raw. So it had been a while since I watched it. And I actually, I rewatched it last night because I wanted it to be very fresh because I remembered, oh, this is a really strong movie. And good Lord, like this is such a good movie. And it's so, the word visceral gets tossed around a lot. But with this one, it just, you really feel like every single element and every single like bite and it's 100% warrants the word visceral. Like it does yeah. get thrown around a lot, but this warrants every single bit of it. But it's also a 
beautiful movie too. Like at the heart of it, there's, there's something going on, like even through violence and cannibalism, it's still like dealing with families connecting and through some way, shape or form. And like her kind of coming to terms with who she is. And I don't know, it's just that it's a really interesting relationship between her and her sister that is like borderline frustrating to say the least. And it's, but it's so well realized and they're such good actors that I don't know. This is one of those movies where even like fresh in your mind, it's like, I still need to process it. I need to let this one stew. And it's been in there for a while. And it's like, it's still got to stew. And that's the thing. Like it is also still kind of a fun movie. I think like Mm -hmm. it still captures a lot of like the fun college party elements. And like, it has scenes that rival anything in like accepted or animal house in terms of that, like fun party culture, but there's something so much darker about it that it's exploring within that kind of hazing party, etc. with this idea of cannibalism. And, you know, my runner up, I was kind of deciding between these two. I decided the, the one I'm about to talk about didn't quite have the body horror element, but it's a scene where, she gets so drunk and then she's basically treated like a dog where her sister is like tempting her with flesh and everybody's just sitting around watching with like camera phones on. And that's probably the single most upsetting scene, but not Mm -hmm. in a body horror gore specific way, but like my word, like it taps into so many things and it's what an accomplishment. Great, great movie. Oh, it is. And another thing, that like really hit me this time watching through is how it, it kind of has an almost fairy tale quality to it, where it's kind of like a 100% like a journey into finding themselves and like the cannibalism is just like who they are. Right. And, it's a film about identity at its core and like this woman kind of growing into herself as she goes to college. And again, it has those elements of like how you find yourself at college and who you're supposed to be, or, you know, that, that fairy tale that you get told about college, but there's still this mysterious undercurrent. And I don't want to spoil the very end of the film, but like there's a mysterious undercurrent of like, how did it get this way? Hmm. And that does get resolved. And like these questions are answered in the end. And a very fraught relationship with her mother is revealed through that. So like it has so many layers and is brilliant in so many ways. And that's ultimately why I had to put it on number one on my list, because obviously it doesn't exist without all the Cronenberg stuff before it. But like, honestly, I think it's elevating it a bit and like taking it to new realms. And I appreciate that about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Julia Ducarnel is taking it in a totally new direction. Like, where you could kind of look at Brandon Cronenberg and see like, well, he's kind of existing in a similar lane to his father. She's driving body horror in a different direction. Like it's not, not what you would picture it. And it's putting like fantastical elements into body horror, which is, it's just one of those things where I very, very excited to see where they push it. 100%. Another case where I have season tickets. Like I'm in as soon as Titan is, available to layman's like me i will be watching it because i'm so just fascinated by her work i i really can't stress like how good that movie is like uh raw i mean raw is just it's on netflix just i can't say enough good things about it 
nearly a perfect film. It's on Netflix. Go check it out now. Kyle, we have reached the end. It is your number one. Let's do Uh, this. All right. And across the finish line, I'm bringing with me David Cronenberg's The Brood. We've talked about him enough. This is your David Cronenberg selection. Here we go. This is it. So The Brood is about a, a psychiatric institute where they're pioneering a new form of psychiatric treatment called psychoplasmatics, which is where a person is able to take their repressed emotions and physically manifest them on their own body. So you'll have people like growing like sores and hives and things is like their way to deal with uh, their own oppression or depression or repression or anything. And it follows a man who's going through a really bad divorce uh, and his wife is a patient at this institute. And then people around him start to die. People connected with her start to die. And there are these weird creatures running around committing actions. And it's pretty violent. And it's, there's, it's one of the few Cronenberg movies it's that and probably Crash that have the least amount of like laughs or it's a purely cathartic film because he was at the time going through, uh, he had gone through a really bad divorce and just decided he was going to channel it into this film. And you feel it like it's a very, very intense movie. Yeah. As far as divorce film goes, it's like this Kramer versus Kramer and marriage story. Like (laughs) (laughs) he actually, he said in interviews, he's like, this is my version of Kramer versus Kramer, but it's more realistic. I saw that the uh, more realistic part was the really nice little uh, subtle shot that I loved. Oh yeah. <laughs> what a guy. And you got to do it sometimes, but the scene I want to talk about, and this is a spoiler because it's the big scene in the movie. So uh, spoiler alert to those who haven't seen this movie that's been out since like 1979, the sequence involves him witnessing his wife, birth one of these creatures and her body is covered in these kind of like what they resemble tumors but they're basically these they're like external amniotic sacs they are they're like she amniotic sacs attached all over to herself in various sizes and she has one that's ready to go and she removes it i think she like bites down with her teeth to open the sack to pop the sack and she takes blood there's so much blood in this scene and she's wearing a white robe too. So it accentuates it. And it's a very bright background. Yep. And she's, she takes this creature in her hand, which looks like an infant and she starts licking it clean. And it's a very, like very primal, but very truthful moment. And the actress, uh, Samantha Eggers came up with this as an improv because she had seen like dogs and animals do this. It's a very natural thing to clean like the placenta and the afterbirth off of a baby. And it's such a visceral scene that the scene lands. (laughs) It's the ultimate body horror version of like the slow burn where you've just built up and built up and built up for an hour and 20 minutes. And then it just explodes in the last 10 and you know, you mentioned it being supremely violent. I actually don't find it to be that until this. And, like, there's some stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's some stuff. But, like, nothing hits like this. I was watching it, and I'm like, 
so upset, but as soon as I had like 10 minutes to digest, I was like, it makes 100% sense. She's doing this like mother puppy instinct where like she just licks the baby clean and like everything about it makes perfect sense, even though in the moment I couldn't think clearly because it's just so upsetting. And this is one that I hadn't seen before this time. I hadn't seen The Brood. I haven't seen Shivers still. Those are the two on my Cronenberg list that I haven't gotten to. And now I'm very, very happy that I've seen The Brood because, wow, very fucking good. It's a dynamite. It's one of his best. And it's, I think now more and more people have access to it. So they're able to like see it, talk about it and, you know, bear witness. And it's also an incredibly sad movie too, because you're just watching this, these broken characters go through like all kinds of stuff. And I think the reason why I say it, it's so visceral and violent is because you actually come to an understanding about characters and even characters that become victims. You are aware of who they are as people. You are aware of their shortcomings. It's a well-rounded film. This movie has probably the best, like the most concise idea for Cronenberg's career. And I think uh, it's because it's such a personal film to him. Mm-hmm. Like he took his own personal trauma and poured it into this. And like the way that he's able to take such a relatable and personal idea and fit it into his own idea of body horror on film, because he's a very like body horror centric director, like the way that he's able to kind of merge those two is just such an accomplishment. Like it's not a film like Kramer versus Kramer marriage story where like you're taking a very realistic look, but at the same time, it's so real. Like all the emotions are so real. Jumping back to his quote about it being more realistic. I think that does track though, because with the symbolism of body horror and like the symbolism of the body and the rage children, as opposed to two great actors arguing in a scene where it's like, man, they're doing such a great job and I'm feeling it all. But I feel like I have more of a cathartic reaction to the brood than I do like marriage story, which is like, man, that's, that's rough, but Holy shit. This one is just tapping into some, it, it goes beyond just human relationship breakdown. It really gets to the heart of like, human rage and repression yeah i think it goes to that idea of like showing you versus telling you like Mm -hmm. everything in marriage story comes down to like dialogue and arguments between them whereas it's all representative by these rage babies in the brood and you get it and you know it's just a different way of telling the story like i like marriage story but it's just completely it's it's the same story but you can't compare them because of how differently they're told. Yeah, I don't think Noah Baumbach's ever going to do anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'd be interested. Noah Baumbach's a great director. Yeah, no, I'm. I'd be down with it. I just, yeah. I can't see him doing no, I, it. I, I, I can't see it. It's uh it doesn't track from like Francis Ha to, <laughs> uh, you know, Marriage Story, and then that Meyerowitz story is thrown there. Yeah, just give um, me the body horror version of While We're Young. <laughs> let's do it. Give me Noah Baumbach body horror. I'm fucking in. An interesting failure. But if I were to recommend any Cronenberg movies to like beginners, I feel like The Brood might be a good place. Like The Fly is probably the first one you'd go to. And then it would be like, 
video drum might be a little advanced for you. So here's uh, here's the brood. I think that's my actual issue with video drum, and I don't have an issue with it necessarily. But like that was the film that introduced me to Cronenberg because I mm-hmm. read about it in those whole uh, like thousand one movies to see before you die that I got when like I was a teenager. And Videodrome was the one that, like, I latched on to, and I just don't think I was ready for it when I saw it. So, like, that first experience, and I, I've come to appreciate it more when I watched it as an adult, but, like, I think my initial experience painted it, and maybe I'd like it more if I had come into it at the right time. It's one of those movies where it's it's kind of like recommending, like, a really dense album to someone before, like... I'm trying to think of a bit comparison. I was like recommending Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but also like that's a great introduction to the Beatles yeah. because it works it's, on the surface level as well as the deeper level. So I, I it's like know. recommending the White Album. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> and you're I getting like all the raccoon song shit or whatever <laughs> it's called. <laughs> Revolution number nine. Yeah, yeah. it's so deep. Um, all right, so we are going to get out of here. That is our top five body horror movies. There's a lot of incredible movies in there. We suggest you check them out and, you know, let us know what you think. Kyle, we did this episode for a very specific reason, because you have a body horror script that you are in pre-production for. Are you getting ready for it? What's what's going on with your script? I am shooting a body horror feature next month. Like I am going right into it. It's going to be a, full-length feature full-length feature Whoa. Uh, i just decided you know i'm gonna go for it and it's um it's body horror and like i figured i kind of know it and understand it and i've made a few short films at this point so i kind of figured like i might as well take the plunge and i'll give a little snippet about what it is the title is currently earworm it's going to stay earworm because it's a good title but it is <laughs> pat yourself on the back. I like it. Oh yes, yes. Self promotion. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying. I'll give you the gist. The whole film kind of deals with like loneliness and broken people and yada yada. And the main character in it is this kind of like hapless person who doesn't really like particularly know or understand where they are, how they fit into the world, and they wind up in this self-help group uh for like lonely people and that ends up unbeknownst to them it kind of gives way to some very culty vibes and then things spiral and uh body horror ensues as they tend to do in horror movies exactly (laughs) (laughs) no that's great and you know is there a place where we can find some information, support you on this film? Like what, what's going on with this pre-production process for this feature you got? So we're just going to go into it. And right now, like the main social media place to like look for updates and stuff is dirty sweater productions on uh, Instagram. So it's like dirty sweater pro on Instagram that you can find like all the information we are currently in the midst of putting together a website, but we do have a Facebook page, which uh, we do update. And I also have, if you are interested world, uh, a couple of short films on Amazon prime. Uh, You can go into just type in my name and four or five short films should show up. 
I, uh, I would recommend watching uh, Static, which is uh, one of my latest ones. That's actual body horror with effects by uh, the great uh, Jared Baylog. Awesome. So, yeah, go on Instagram at Dirty Sweater Pro and go on Prime Video. Uh, Kyle Kleeg is what you are looking for. K E or sorry, K L E E G E. And you will find some of his stuff. I have not seen any of these things. You did not tell me about them. I am mad at you, but I am telling you now. Like, well, I'm thank te- you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm finding out with the rest of the world. <laughs> I didn't even get the insider track. Motherfuck. Um, but yeah, you can check all these things out and you know, we'll be looking forward to earworm. Do you have an idea of like, when it will be going into production here. So January, 2022 is when I start shooting. Uh, awesome. It's like so it's casting and all that. It's done? cast. It's ready to go. It's just like waiting it out now. So I would love to have it done by late 2022, but you know, I'd say keep an eye for like early 2023 or so, just because film production can take, can be a grind, but you know, be on the lookout for that film when it drops. Well, assuming that this podcast still exists by then, we'll see. We'll have to have you back on to promote the film when it's about to be released. Maybe we'll power rank all the Cronenberg films. I think that would be fun as a collective exercise. That's going to um, be exhausting, but I'm he's down. A fucking legend. And yes. I think we should do it. I'm down. All right. So yeah, look out for his film earworm. You can follow us on Instagram at back porch media on Twitter at Porchback media. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those things. Rate and review us if you feel like it and say nice things because that is what nice people do. And that is about it. We are out of here. See y'all.